Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. John Siegley here with EJ Wilson and Mike Ingersoll for the alumni wrap-up show. Tommy and those guys already had their big one, so we're going to give our thoughts too. And to start this one off, though, I wanted to talk about the state game just super briefly. EJ, we'll start with you on this one. Carolina hung tight with state for a while. Ultimately, you know, I guess if you're going to take a moral victory, they covered the spread. So there was that. But ultimately, it was a loss. So when you were watching that game, just what were your thoughts and what did you feel like after it was over with? Watching that game, initially when they came out, the way they were playing, it was just good to see them come out and play that hard and see that this game really did mean that much to them. And I think what you kind of saw as the game go on has really been the story of our whole season, the fact that we do have a lot of injuries and we don't have a lot of depth. Yes, we showed that we can play. We can play with them. We we still do have talent on the field. But when those guys are playing so many plays and they, they don't really have guys to come in and give them breathers, I mean, that kind of takes a toll. And, and you saw that during that game. I think that we played a really good game against them. I think we played them tough. I think that we came in and I think we initiated the physicality. And I think that sh- that's shown throughout the game. I mean, so I'm really proud of what they did. I'm proud of how they, they wrapped up the season. Would have been better to get a, a W against the rivals of course but I, st- I still like what I saw in the game against NC State I think that yeah like you said they just got wore out at the end and then Mike what were your thoughts on the game yeah they, they just ran out of gas at the end but I mean they showed they showed a lot of fight I mean that game was a microcosm of the season they played pretty well on the front end and then just ran out of juice and that's what's going to happen when you got you know you're fielding a, a roster full of guys that would normally be backups now I I don't say that to disparage the guys that were playing at all, we saw marked improvement in our depth chart this year. And it's something I've been harping on, you know, just trying to find a silver lining in all this. And I don't think it's something you got to try that hard to see. Moving forward next year and the year after and all that, we, those guys all now have game reps. And like I've said, every single week we've been doing this podcast this season, the only thing that gets you better is game reps. And and I understand the frustration of the fan base. I mean, we've got it too. I mean, how many how many years are we going to sit here and say, well, you know, it, well, it didn't go our way this year, but, you know, next year we got some pieces coming back. And we're going to be pretty good next year. You know, like it's kind of like, you know, how long do Tar Heel football fans and alumni have to wait, you know, until we finally break through that ceiling? I think it's going to happen much sooner than it will later. I think it's going to happen, you know, next year. And we already saw a glimpse of it. We already got to the AC championship game. And who knows if we would have won that if, if that onside kick goes our way. So, you know, all that built up to, being able to have a season where there's a lot more success embedded in our failures than people at a 30,000 foot glimpse can see. You know, if you look more closely at what we did this year, again, we proved uh, our depth chart. Our depth chart got game experience and game reps, and, and, and they're going to be better players for that. But we also were able to get a glimpse at the next two quarterbacks we have, at least in terms of seniority, the older ones with Chaz Seurat and Nathan Elliott. And both of those guys played well when they were called upon Nate was obviously a a welcome surprise and I don't think he was I don't don't think his performances the good ones at least were of any surprise to him or anybody in that in that building Um, he wouldn't have been called upon to play if he couldn't play but you know for the fan base and for us on the outside looking in that was that was a positive Anthony Ratliff Williams or Anthony Anthony Ratliff is a positive again a kid 
and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but he's a kid that I actually helped coach at Butler High School when he was our backup quarterback, Riley Ferguson, the quarterback from Memphis now. Riley was our starter back then. Anthony was our backup. And he was he's a great kid. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's nice. He's humble. He treats people with respect. He works his butt off. And all that stuff finally culminated in the second half of the season into really solid performances and obviously a first-team all-conference nod as a return specialist, which was fantastic. You know, and we'll have Tom Sheldon back in the punting game, so our special teams is going to be significantly better. What we have to improve upon is the linebacking core, and that was decimated by injuries this year, and we saw that, you know, rear its ugly head finally, you know, catch up with us there in the state game with the back-to-back was a 48-yard and a 54, or a 54-yard run was the first one, and a 48-yard run was the second, you know, for touchdowns that kind of just blew the game open at that point. But we got Jonathan Smith some experience, and we got some younger guys' experience there too, and we're going to be okay. And I think that is what you need to take away from this season. There was significantly more success to talk about than the scoreboard or the box score or the overall record would tell you. Well, and I think that's a good way to segue into just the thoughts on the season as a whole. I mean, let's not try to, you know, put too much lipstick on the pig, though. I mean, the season as itself was not what anybody expected or wanted. And the players no, three, the and staff, nine, three and nine is horrible. Three and nine sucks. Yeah. But to that point, I mean, I, I know the fans are disappointed, but the players and the staff are the most disappointed. I mean, no one puts in as much work as the guys actually there on the field. But to start with the defense, and as you said, Mike, I mean, I I think that there was some progress made on that side, but EJ, with you, you know, being the former defensive player, what were your takeaways from the defense as a whole? And then give us one positive aspect that you saw and then one aspect that you think needs to improve upon for next season. On the defense as a whole, I think that we showed a lot of fight. I mean, you know, like we, we've been talking a lot. We've been doing these podcasts all season. And we the first thing we started off was really challenging this team to really see if, if are they going to come out and play physical? Are they just going to come out there and, and pound on their chest? And that kind of changed. Like you saw in more games as the season went along, they progressed. It kind of didn't matter who they lost. They kind of progressed. No, they were on a good defense. No, I think they still were a below average defense. But like you say, we have to find a light in this situation. And the light in the situation is that we got a lot, got a lot of guys who probably wouldn't have got those reps this year, who got some game time, who got to really see what it takes to really prepare like a starter and play like a starter. So next year, when everyone's healthy, when everyone gets another spring under their belt, they get a, a summer condition under their belt, I think we're going to come back and we're going to be stronger. We got some good play out of our defensive linemen, especially Malik Carney and Simon Fox, who I've been kind of talking about all year. I mean, these guys had strong seasons, and I think that added with the guys that we got coming back, uh, just a, a whole stronger group, a team that I think that developed some leadership this year on defense. Yeah, we're, we're, we're losing a lot of important players but we also have the younger players who've gotten better so just as a whole I think that you saw progression and that's really what you want to see I mean they weren't good no but we saw progression the one positive thing I think I I will see that I saw from them is the fact that they did fight a lot of the games they never really looked like they gave up maybe in a couple games but overall I think they fought to the end they did the best that they could one thing that I really think needs to be addressed in the offseason, though, is the run. You have to stop the run. When I was at UNC and we were playing 2009, my senior year, what we took pride in was the fact that we were a top five rushing defense all season. And that's really where it starts. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you have 
athletes that can rush the passer, but the teams can run the ball down your throat. If they can run the ball when they want to, when they have to, when they need to, then you're not going to be able to get those pass rushers on the field because they're just going to keep running the ball. So I think that that's, that should be the number one priority going into the offseason. Then we'll get into some tactical questions later on. But Mike, to switch it to you then on the offense, I especially wanted to get your take on this because Carolina's offensive line, early on, they were not playing up to their standards, but they kind of came together. But Carolina is losing, I think, four of the starters are seniors. So the offensive line next year is going to be a rebuild job. So talk about what you saw on the offensive side. And then same thing, what was one kind of positive takeaway? And then one thing that you think is something key that needs to be improved on. Well, I, let me let me go ahead and just address what EJ just said in terms of the run the run game. I, I mean, I completely agree with that. And what's what's extremely disappointing is that it looks like there's been a now two season long hangover from the Baylor game, and that's that's extremely unfortunate. You know, you know, EJ just mentioned, you know, you know what's what's going to happen if you can't stop the run? You know, you can't get your pass rushers on the field and all that. What's it going to look like? Teams are going to do whatever they want to. Yeah, teams are going to do what Baylor did and just run the ball. Four downs, never punt, and score 40-some-odd points. I mean, that's what's going to happen. But, you know, transitioning over here to the offense, good things that I saw on the offensive line, we'll start the offensive line, my bread and butter. J.J. McCargo played well when he was asked to, got a lot of snaps. Got game reps, you know, and again, game reps get you better, but it doesn't show itself more at any other position than it does on the offensive line. That's where game reps make you better, and you see the biggest improvement that you get. That's actually measurable. It's tangible. You can see it. You can feel it. You you watch it on film. You see it in their production, the way they grade out, moving forward, their players' confidence levels, all of that. The offensive line game reps are the single most important thing they can possibly get, more so than any extra technique work, more so than getting bigger and putting on weight in the offseason. It's getting on the field and getting in the game. Ben Lemming said something to me when I was a freshman. He was telling me about all the games he started. I think it was eight of them when he was a true freshman. And he said, you know, Mike, once you get on the field, whether it's on field goal or it's actual, you know, on the normal three downs, you know, meaningful snaps like that, no matter what it is, once you get on the field, it's addicting and you're never going to want to come off. And he was absolutely right. And once you get on the field and you have a little bit, a little bit of success in a game and you see yourself having that success, it helps you moving forward. And guys like J.J. McCargo, Heck, Nick Polino, they have that now. And that's going to help them. It's going to propel them through the offseason. And those are going to be the guys that are going to be called on to lead the offensive line going into next year, especially J.J. as the center. But Heck got some real significant snaps this year, and he played well when he was asked to. Polino, uh, another one who who showed improvement. You know, he he was a guy that we had questions about, and and he made a lot of mistakes, and he did some things that kind of made you raise an eyebrow. But he also did some things that 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 got you fired up. You know, he he did a lot of positive things this season. His pass protection got a lot better. His set got better. His punch got better, and that all came as his confidence increased. I and mean, that's only going to carry over into the off season and move into next season. And that stuff gets me excited. Uh, from the other positions, obviously, we've got two quarterbacks now. We don't know which one it's going to be moving into next year. I think all money is probably on Surratt being the starter. I would go ahead and probably pencil him in. Now, that's assuming he doesn't get beat out by Elliott in the offseason. It's also assuming we don't have some freshmen come in and, and beat them both out. You know, We don't know what's going to happen. So we, we've had some interesting things take place on the recruiting trail. Commitments, surprise commitments, surprise decommitments at the quarterback position. We had one with Peyton Wilson recently at linebacker. You know, so we got some stuff going on recruiting wise. That's that's a little interesting, but we don't know what's going to happen at quarterback with whoever comes in. 
assuming everything plays out the way it should, I would go ahead and expect Chaz to be the starter going into next year. And he did a lot of good things too. He did some boneheaded stuff. He did stuff that a, you would expect a first-year starter to, to do, a guy who was just trying too hard to make plays, thinking he had to put it all on his shoulders. Based on what he had around him, based on the, the struggles we were having offensively all season, I can understand that. You know, kid's a playmaker. He was Gatorade Player of the Year. He's an athlete. You know, he's a competitor. He's used to being the best player on the field. Guys are going to do stuff like that. So, you know, obviously I'm thinking about the, the over-the-head basketball pass, the, the, the long snap warm-up <laughs> that he threw from the pocket for an interception. What yeah. was that against Louisville? Is that when that was? You know, I, you think about that kind of stuff, that, that sort of stuff comes to mind. But he did a lot of positive things and did well. Receiving core, Anthony Ratliff. He was the bright spot. I was worried about Anthony after the first couple of games. Cal, you know, he dropped a wide-open touchdown in the end zone. Louisville, he had a couple of mistakes. But again, second half of the season, he kind of put all that stuff away. They needed him to be a leader. They needed him to produce. They needed him to kind of set the tone on offense, and he did that. He took that on himself, and that's the kind of kid that Anthony is. I think the fans are in for a real treat watching his career develop here. I think he's going to be a really special player for us. He's, he's going to be a very reliable, consistent player for us, and that, that may be more important than any flash-in-the-pan player we could have is, is some consistency and some leadership. You know, and, and running back, we have you know, Michael Carter, and we've got Jordan Brown coming back too. We've got two running backs that are really good. They're really shifty, they're really athletic, and they're going to do some special things here. We are loaded with talent, and that's one thing that we, you know, we need to be keeping in, in, in the front of our minds is that this team is loaded with talent. There is a lot to be excited about in Chapel Hill. Coach Fedora has done a very good job of recruiting. He's got to fix some holes. We do have some holes, obviously, you mentioned on the offensive line, losing a lot of seniors, but Coach Cap has done a great job with those backups. Again, I've, I preach it all year. You want to know how good your coaching staff is? Look at how good your backups are. Look at how they're performing. And they performed better than expected. It didn't show up in the win column. And sometimes it didn't show up maybe in how they were grading out on Sundays when they got their film review back. But there was improvement there. And the coaching staff has done a really good job of making sure everybody behind the starters was ready to play. And when they came in, there wasn't a terrible amount of drop-off. So that's my positives on offense. You know, Specifically at positions, you got Heck, Polino, McCargo, offensive line. Quarterback, obviously, is Chaz and, and Nathan Elliott. Receiver, Anthony Ratliff. I don't think there's any question about that. And then running back, obviously, Jordan Brown, Michael Carter. I think, I think we got some really good things going on, guys. All right. We're going to take our first commercial break. And when we come back, going to talk some potential tactical evaluations with you guys. So stay tuned for that. And we are back. John Siegel here with Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson talking the season review for the Tar Heels. And guys, we talked about kind of the players themselves during the first half of this podcast. And I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the tactics that you saw out of the team this year. I think on the defensive side, it's a little bit more of an interesting conversation because Carolina had a brand new defensive staff and the scheme itself was very drastically different from what we saw under Gene Chizik. So I want to get both of y'all's thoughts on this. We're actually going to switch up a little bit and get the offensive guy's perspective first. So, Mike, when you were looking at the defense from a scheme perspective this year, was there anything that stood out to you? And is there anything that you think may be adjusted for the 2018 season? 
Well, schematically, I mean, one thing that we have up front on the defensive line, I mean, obviously that's where I focus my attention is in the trenches. I mean, EJ, I'm sure EJ is the same. One thing that I noticed was whenever we tried to run any type of twists or games up front, they're fairly ineffective. Now, when we coupled those with our blitz packages, we ran some pretty hairy blitzes with twist game up front, which created a lot of confusion. And, And quite often we got pretty decent pressure that way. That was nice to see. You're obviously worried because we don't have, you know, and maybe we shouldn't at this point, have a whole lot of confidence in our back end, the back end of our defense. So I'm talking about our our linebackers and our secondary and their ability to cover. So if you bring some bodies in a blitz, you're a little worried that there's some gaping holes left. But the good news is that those packages were complex enough and created enough confusion up front on opposing offensive lines and running backs in in pass protection that we were able to get home and disrupt the play. If it wasn't a sack, it was it was a hit, it was a hurry, it was a batted pass, it was something that took a lot of stress off of our back end on our defense. So that was a positive. One thing that does concern me, though, is that when we don't have the blitz component to those twist games, when we're just running, you know, a pair of TEs or ET twists up front or, you know, an inside, an inside twist and everybody else is dropping back in coverage like normal, our defensive line wasn't very effective that way. One thing that concerns me is it's very true that when teams twist a lot, and I mentioned this after the Virginia Tech game, prior to the Miami game, the reason why defensive coordinators will twist their defensive line a lot is if they don't think that they have the athletes up front that can beat the opposing offensive line. So what they do is they try to scheme you and confuse you instead of just beating you one-on-one, you know, mano y mano. And that's that's usually, if you see teams doing a lot of twist games on film, it's it's a pretty telltale sign that they just don't think they're better than you. So they're trying to beat you in other ways. I don't think we have that issue. I think we've got good athletes on the defensive line. We saw Timon Fox and we saw 53 escape, escaping me. But we, you know, we saw some of these guys, 97, forgetting his name too. I'm forgetting all their names right now. Um, <laughs> but we, Jalen Dalton, sorry, Jalen Dalton. We saw these guys really improve from last season. My concern is, are they all good enough to start beating guys one-on-one so that we can put a little more emphasis on our coverage in the back end? So up front on the defensive line, that's what concerns me. I'm worried that if our defensive staff doesn't think we have the talent up front necessary or able to consistently whip opposing offensive lines in the pass rush and against the run, are they going to resort to a lot of this twisting and all that? And are we going to be able to do that and still be successful? That is run twists and run games. Are we going to be able to run those and be successful if we don't pair it with some blitz like we did this year quite frequently? Is our defensive line capable of engaging in that type of schematic gamesmanship up front with no help from the linebackers creating extra confusion and taking blockers away and, and giving them open lanes to rush through. That's what I'm concerned about. And then obviously on the, on the back end with our linebackers, our coverage has got to get a lot better. It seemed like there was always a, a, a mile wide hole in the middle of the field. And I don't know why we weren't getting picked, you know, they weren't running a whole lot of pick routes. Bobby Petrino did, but outside of that, it, it honestly just looked like we had a lot of breakdowns and coverage from the linebacker position. And I don't know if it's, they don't understand it. I think I think those guys were always on their assignments. I just don't know if they're athletic enough to keep up, or if something was happening. They're you know they're taking false steps and they're getting beat beat that way. I don't know what's going on there, but that's one thing that I know we need to improve. EJ, let's hear from you, man. What did you see from the defense as far as schematics go on the season, and then what do you think does need to be improved on in that regard? 
I think schematically, I think Mike, he definitely hit on a lot of good points. The fact that we do do a lot of twists and a lot of stunts up front shows that the coaching staff really doesn't have a lot of confidence in our pass rushing ability. But I think some of the things Malik Carney, Jalen Dalton, Taman Fox, those guys showed that there is talent there and they can they can rush the passer. Maybe they can't beat people one-on-one consistently all game, but I think that during the offseason, I think their focal point really needs to be execution of pass rush games because you don't have to be a great pass rusher to be able to execute a pass rush game. And Mike will tell you, if pass rush games are executed properly, that they, they can become unblockable unless you just have an offensive line that's that much in sync. But still, I think that them getting better at pass rush games and giving them confidence to kind of get some of their one-on-one games going. Because if you're running pass rush games, if you're executing those the right way, then you're keeping the offensive line guessing. And that also helps them with some of the exotic blitz packages that they do run. It allows them to be more crisp because that's what I noticed. I noticed that on a lot of what we call long sticks where the defensive end goes from the C-gap to the A-gap, a lot of those those movements, a lot of their twists, they really weren't in sync and they really weren't timed well. But I think that's just a result of this really being their first time through this defense defense and these are guys that weren't really getting a lot of the reps in training camp yeah they got some reps in spring ball but training camp they and during the season they're not really getting a lot of the reps so of course they're not going to be as crisp but I think that with the offseason with the spring with another training camp once these guys really perfect and master what the coaches and they know what the coaches are expecting of them I think that this will be a much improved unit and I think it does start up front back in like Mike said we just have to have the guys again be in this system a lot longer, become disciplined, keep their eyes on their keys and just cover guys. And we it's all a chain reaction. If we're getting better pass rush up front, that makes their, these guys' job easier in the back end. Their confidence grows. You just see guys start to make plays more. But I am encouraged by just some of the growth and some of the improvement that I did see. But I do think that there is going to be a lot of work needed on the defensive side this offseason. Well, EJ, you know what also makes – I mean, you know the answer to this. You know what makes the twist game way more effective is if your one-on-one pass rush is significantly more effective, right? Exactly. So if I'm, if, I'm an, if I'm a tackle and I'm worried about you rushing me from the end, I'm going to set every single time concerned about you beating me one-on-one. At the point that you go ahead and you take your normal progression upfield, your one, two, three steps, and on your third step, you go ahead and make your move. If I'm waiting for you to make a pass rush move and all of a sudden you dart inside and you pick the guard because I've left too wide of a gap, mm-hmm. that's, when, that's when the twist game works. Twists are more effective when you have four hellacious defensive linemen up there and the offensive linemen that are lined up across from them are concerned about getting beat in just your normal pass rush. So, you know, everything is everything is connected, which is kind of ironic that coaches think that scheming, scheming twist games and stuff will actually help them if they don't have confidence in their defensive line, right? The twist game ain't going to work either. So if they ain't good at their normal pass rush, I'm not worried about them twisting me because I'm not setting in any, I'm not taking any kind of pass set that says I'm concerned about you beating me, which means I'm going to be a little bit slower. I'm going to set a little more shallow. I'm going to be a little flatter. And there's just not going to be those open lanes for you to rush through. There's not going to be that opportunity to, to pick players and create or pry open gaps and, and, and get to the quarterback in, in the twist game if you're not any good at your normal pass rush. Anything to add to that, EJ, or we good to go ahead and move on to the offensive side? Oh, yeah, we can go ahead and go to the offense. I mean, I agree with him 100%. He's exactly right. All right. So then we'll go ahead and talk on the offensive side now. I think if there was any specific area where Carolina fans probably felt the most disappointment, it was on offense this year. And, you know, I think if you got Coach Fedora and asked him if he thought the offense performed, he would probably say no, just given the struggle on that side of the ball. So, Mike, I know you've heard it, you've seen it. A lot of the fans are upset about the OC3 and 
you know, Coach Cap and whatever is going on with him and Heckendorf and who calls plays. Comment on that to start with, and then go ahead and you talk about what you saw maybe that the offense was trying to do this past season and just was not able to get it done. What I'll say in terms of the OC3 thing is, first off, I, I've never been in a position where I had to call plays myself. I never had that. I haven't had that responsibility in, in my my brief coaching career. So I, I don't know the pressure that comes with that. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know everything that goes into that. What I do know is from a player standpoint, I could care less who's who's giving me the plays. As long as they're on the same page and they're they're operating off the same game plan, it doesn't really matter who's calling the plays. So what I'll tell the fans that, that think they've found the reason why we weren't successful this season. And that reason is because we had multiple people calling plays. I mean, you need to go ahead and get off of that. There's been plenty of coaching staffs that have used more than two people or more than one person, at least to call plays. They just didn't advertise it. It wasn't known to the fan base, but I promise you it happens all the time. If you think Nick Saban doesn't have defensive input in what's happening down there in Alabama, right? And he's rest, he, he's allowing every defensive call to come through his coordinator. You're out of your mind. If you think that's how Butch Davis was running his defense, you're out of your mind. They may not be the ones signaling the plays into the defense, but they certainly have input in game. Same on offense. You're nuts if you think that Chip Kelly or Brian Kelly is handing over the reins to whoever he has as, as his titled offensive coordinator. I mean, you're, you're nuts. They may not advertise that there's more than one person calling plays, that there's more you know, there's more than one cook in the kitchen, but I promise you that's what's going on. So let's get off of that. That's not the reason we struggled on offense. The reason we struggled on offense was inexperience. You know, we had guys that came in that have not ran, that haven't run this offense before. It's a very complex offense if you haven't run it. When you have run it and you've got experienced guys, it hums like a well-oiled machine. You saw that with Trubisky and Switzer and Hollins and, and Bug, Quinshaw Davis, they had experience. You know, Marquise, when he was running the offense, they, these guys had experience in the offense. We ran it well. TJ Logan, Hood, all those guys. Offense looked good because they had experience in it. They knew what to expect. They understood They understood the game plan. When you have new players, new faces, and you got a whole roster full of them, there's just going to be gaps. There's going to be lag, and there's, there's going to be a learning curve, and you're going to see that. There's going to be growing pains on Saturdays or Thursdays or Tuesdays or Fridays or whenever the hell we play football games now. Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's going to be learning curves and growing pains, and it's going to be difficult to watch sometimes, and it's going to be ineffective. What I was really surprised about was early in the season, so I'm talking Cal, Louisville, obviously ODU, you know, we were putting up 30-something points a game, and I don't know what happened because I, 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 was, I was concerned. I thought our offense was going to look the way it did here at the end of the year. I thought it was going look like, to look like that from the start, and it didn't. And all of a sudden, I thought, okay, maybe, I mean, we might win six, seven, sneak in eight games this year if our offense can put up points like this. You know, if we're putting up 30 points right now, and at the time we had you know, Brandon Harris, who hadn't ran this offense before, and Chaz Surratt, who hadn't run this offense before. We had them at quarterback, and we were still putting up points. Jordan Brown and Michael Carter, who, you know, Jordan didn't, hasn't had a ton of snaps, and Mike's a freshman at running back. And our offensive line was a patchwork offensive line. And we were putting up 30 points a game. I knew the defense would come around at some point, And I looked at it like, well, maybe we actually can outscore people. Maybe it really is the system. What ended up happening and evolving throughout the season was, you know, kind of a, a case study of people can talk about, you know, system players. You hear in the draft all the time, you know, he, system quarterbacks, right? There's not a whole lot of truth to that. Players got to go out and play. Players got to perform. Players got to put points on the board. And the way you do that is through experience. And because we didn't have a whole lot of experience, we started tapering off towards the end of the year, second half of the season. We started faltering. 
It wasn't the system. The system's in place. We know the system itself works. What you got was proof and evidence that the system requires players. One thing that my high school coaches always told us, and, and I didn't understand it until I got to the higher levels of football, you know, Jimmy's and Joe's are better than X's and O's any day of the week. You'd rather have really, 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 really good players than a really, 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 really good scheme. And what we saw was we had a really, really good scheme and a lot of inexperienced players that just haven't developed yet. And regardless of how good the scheme was, the players weren't able to execute and the players weren't able to put points on the board. And we lost a lot of games. And we looked kind of inept on offense in a lot of areas. We also looked pretty good in a lot of areas. So the good stuff. When we wanted to, with tempo, we were able to run the ball with tempo. Our short passing game across the middle was effective. Our boot game, whenever we were able to roll our quarterbacks out and get them outside the pocket, was relatively effective. What we struggled on was long throws, receivers dropping balls. We had a lot of that. But decision-making from the quarterback position, which, again, is going to come with experience. That's Again, I'm not going to disparage either of those guys. They haven't played a whole lot. And another thing that we struggled in a lot was, was, was run blocking on a slower tempo, which I would call your normal like out-of-the-huddle type of offense. We struggled with that. When the defense had time to line up, reorganize itself, and get ready and prepare, we didn't look so great. So those, you know, those, were, those were some good things from this season and, and, and some bad things, some, some things we got to work on. We got to work on our screen game. You know, staple this offense is kind of dinking and dunking and then you know, getting people on their heels and then and kind of tricking them with a screen here or there. We got to get better with the screen game. We didn't, you didn't see us run a whole lot of them or even attempt them because we just, screens are about timing and you need players with experience that are comfortable with each other to run them well. And we just didn't have that. So that's my point, or I guess my, my several points is number one, get off the OC3 thing. Whoever's calling the plays, that ain't got nothing to do with it. They're all calling off the same sheet. They all had the same game plan. They were all in the same coaches' meetings all week long. So get off of that. That's not the reason. That's not the secret formula. You haven't cracked the code as to why we didn't play well. The reason we didn't play well is point number two, inexperience. Point number three, Jimmys and Joes are better than X's and O's. You know, listen, man, you can have the best scheme in the world, the best system in the world. Don't buy all the hype in the draft when you hear about system quarterbacks and they can't be a good quarterback in the league and they can't do this, they can't do that. Players play. And if a player can put up points, he can put up points. A winner is a winner. You know, and, and we've, got, we've got winners on this roster that just need to develop. They need experience. So that's my 25 cents. EJ, one thing I wanted to ask you about, actually, and I've been meaning to bring this up and I keep on forgetting. When you're talking about Fedora's scheme, and like Mike said, I mean, it's designed to be a certain way, that up-tempo put the opposing defense on their heels and, you know, kind of make those quick strikes. You've seen it a lot from, again, a fan criticism is that there's kind of this sense that with that style of offense, Carolina's not going to be able to really field a top-tier defense. But what is your take on that? I think that it does put your defense at a disadvantage, but I think that if, you're, if your scheme is, is good on defense, and like Mike said, if you have the right players in that scheme, if you have talent, then the defense is going to play well anyway. But I think they can only play well to a certain extent. I don't think that they're going to go out here and you can't expect that defense to go out here and shut out quality competition if they're on the field for so long. If your offense is going down the field and they only have the ball for one, two, three, maybe two, three minutes at a time, maximum on a drive, yeah, that's going to affect you. Whether you're getting three and outs or not, you're still on the field a lot. But if you have a lot of depth on defense and you have players that you can rotate in and out, if your strength and conditioning programs where it needs 
to be and you can get these guys in shape and you can get the guys disciplined. I do think that you can have that, but that comes with experience too. That that also comes with experience. So I think that the best type of defense is going to respond the best to having a type of offense and really be a, a really, really good defense, like a really top tier defense. I think that's going to be a team that with people who've been in the program and been in that system for two or three seasons already and know what to expect and they know how to get their bodies ready and they know exactly what they need to do to be ready to be a top tier defense on Saturday. So yes, to answer the question, I personally wouldn't prefer to play with the offense like that. I think that I'd rather play with the offense is going to run the ball, kind of chew up some of that clock so we can be fresher. But also, I, I mean, if the offense is scoring and they're in a the groove, we we understand that we got to do what we have to do. But I, I do think it could happen, but I think it's going to take some experienced players in that defense and depth to pull it off. And you brought up strength and conditioning there, EJ, and we'll go ahead and end on this segment. I mean, Carolina was not struck by the injury bug. Carolina got struck by the injury pack of piranhas this season. I mean, I have never seen this level of just guys go down. So when you're talking about strength and conditioning, since you guys have been through a college program, what is your take on that? Was the injuries that Carolina suffered this year indicative at all of the strength and conditioning program, or is it just sometimes random luck? And EJ, start with you for this one. I think everything that happens during the football season is almost directly related to strength and conditioning and specifically the injury bug. So my first couple seasons uh, at Carolina, we got struck by the injury bug every season. You were noticing some of our best players were always getting hurt. So our strength coach took it upon himself to go ask people, see people, why is this happening? So once he, he switched up the way we trained during the season, we didn't train to maintain our bodies. We train to get stronger during the season. Like we noticed that we we would be stronger in the second half of the season and be in better shape in the second half of the season than we were in the beginning is because we're constantly keeping our bodies at peak performance. We're constantly we're constantly doing yoga. We're constantly stretching. We're constantly doing flexibility exercises. We're constantly doing explosive movements. Nothing is too strenuous on the body, but it's enough to keep the, keep yourself limber and to make sure that that you're healthy and you're not your body's not on a decline during the season. You're actually in, you're actually getting stronger and getting better and getting in better shape. So I do think some of, some of it's hard luck and some of it is strength and conditioning. And then Mike, same question to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't comment on the strength and conditioning program because I'm not a part of it. I can't. I mean, I, I can't comment on it. Lose program specifically. What I can, what I can do is what EJ did and speak in generalities. And that's, you know, you're if, if you've got a ton of injuries, at some point it is traceable back to the strength and conditioning program. There are exceptions to the rule, and there is such a thing as an injury bug. I've never seen one to the extent that we had it this year. It was mind blowing, and it was so egregious that you wonder if it is in any way attributable to the strength and conditioning program. And, and I say that as in, I don't see how it could possibly be linked to the strength and conditioning program when it's to the extent that we had it. It looked like a freak thing. I, you know, you, you'd like to blame it on having to repair the turf every single game or replace the turf every single game. But, it, you know, the injuries didn't all happen at, you know, uh, at home games. And frankly, our, our field crew did an unbelievable job with replacing that turf. And, you know, kudos to the school for ponying up the money to do it because that wasn't a cheap job. And the guys that had to do it worked, you know, tirelessly 
the whole night before before a home game replacing that turf. I mean, it, UNC turf did a great job. I mean, it, good job, guys, if you're listening. The field looked phenomenal all year long. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, if you have three or four guys get hurt and it seems like the same kind of injury, like an overuse injury, then yeah, that's usually attributable to the strength and conditioning program. You have a spell of ACL tears. You know, yeah, that that might be you're working legs a little too hard, and you're not you're not training the 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 things that complement the ACL. And and you know, we can get into the science of that all you want, but it's it's, it's complicated to get into right now, you know, on this podcast. But but I mean, there's there's ways to train and and train the complementary muscles that feed in to protecting the knee and and stabilizing the knee joint. And if you have a lot of a string of ACL tears, that's something to look at, you know. But if it's if it's a it's a rash of random sort of unrelated injuries that don't look like overuse type injuries well you know then it's not i don't know that you can really trace it to the strength and conditioning program so you know it's 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 a big question mark i'll just chalk it up to this was a freak year and you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna admonish lou and his program because he's done a great job up to this point you know again the fire fedora crowd after one bad year you know, we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about we need to get rid of Larry Fedora. That's absolutely nuts after one bad season. You know, same thing with Lou. We have one season with a string of, of injuries. I'm not going to burn him at the stake for that. I, I don't see how one one off year, one random freak year is is indicative of, of any larger issue when you've got a body of work for both Lou and the strength program and Larry and the pro the football program itself when you've got a body of work that says things have been going right for a while so that's my thoughts on it well and I think that that's very fair I mean it's going to be an interesting offseason to see for the heels you know I think getting healthy is obviously the key thing second thing is who really does emerge at quarterback so we will be back with you guys though intermittently throughout this offseason but I wanted to say thanks for you know, doing this podcast with me, guys, it has been a blast. This was our first season of having the, the three of us on. So we'll hope to continue this. And, you know, for any feedback from the listeners out there, definitely hit us up on the message boards. And we'll go ahead and wrap it up. So, again, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.